0: It's always a tricky thing to be informed ahead of time that you're engaging, now the bar is set, so thank you. I would like to offer a thank offering to our worship people that were singing up here, and uh, that was beautiful and inspirational, so may we offer them a thank offering. I chose that term specifically and for a reason and I will return to it a little bit later on. That is what we call a cliffhanger. So at least the choir will be awake. Love of wisdom then has helped us to discover, helped to establish all that makes Athens great. It has educated us for practical affairs, made us gentle in our relations with each other. It has helped us to understand and distinguish between misfortunes due to ignorance, and those that come out of necessity. It has taught us how to guard against the former and simply put up with the latter. This love of wisdom our city made manifest because we honor speech, which all people desire, and envy those who know how to use it. Recognizing on the one hand That this is the natural feature that distinguishes us from all animals. And that through the advantage it gives us, we excel them in all other things. But also seeing, on the other hand, that there are areas of fortune that are troublesome. I mean, there's areas in which the wise fail and yet the ignorant succeed. And that there is no share of noble or artistic speech in the wicked. It is the product of a well knowing soul, and that the wise and those seemingly unlearned most differ from each other in this, that those educated liberally right from the start are not recognized by courage, they're not known for wealth or those such benefits, but most by what they say, and that those who use speech well are not only powerful in their own cities, but are also honored among people all over, and to such an extent has our city outstripped the rest of humanity in wisdom In speech, that her students have become the teachers of others. And she has made the name of the Hellens seem no longer that of a people, but that of an intelligence. And that those rather are called Greeks who share our education than those who share our blood. We call this school Tyndale. Right off the bat, we're wrong, because it was pronounced Tyndall, like Kindle. And that's okay. And I hope in the next few moments to explain to you exactly why that's okay. And as a historian, it is so important because we can look at any human being, any time in history and find it relating to our present age. But the the discipline tells us that we must spend a lot of time understanding the historical context. And that's what we're gonna do. And I know right off the bat what you're thinking, historical context, goody. Nobody ever wants to hear historical context. And I'm hoping in these next few moments to somewhat change your mind because William Tyndall is incredibly important and very, very relevant for us in this present age. And I hope to communicate that to you. So our story must begin as all good histories must begin with a donkey's mask. There we go. There it is. That's not actually true. But this one does. In the 1490s. Right around the time that Tyndall was born. Martin Luther was in his education. His primary school education. And a large portion of that education. Was learning of course Latin. Being the holy language of the time. And so Latin was incredibly important. I just realized I'm in charge of doing this. <laughs> Boop. There we go. now the, the young boys and it was predominantly boys uh, were schooled for a better part of the morning in the Latin and the student who found himself to be the weakest in the class by lunchtime was forced over the course of lunchtime to don the mask of a donkey to shame him into doing better and in case you don't believe me there you go. I circled it for you. That is not a, that is not a highly educated donkey that is the, the bottom of the class of school. So for any of you in education, how's about that, eh? How's about that for a model of uh, guided learning? If you apply for any jobs, do not put this as part of your philosophy of education. It is uh, borderline abusive, but that is by our standards. At the time, this was considered, and you know probably rightfully so, a pretty substantial motivator to really conjugate those Latin verbs. And I guarantee you, and it's, it's, it's borne out, people like Martin Luther and Tyndall knew their language. They studied the Latin, and as we'll see in a little bit, other languages as well. But I wanted to start with, with this as, as our motivator. For those of you checking out our school uh, and concerned and maybe looking at languages, this will not happen to you if you come here. I mean, probably, right? I mean, who's the judge? We are. Don't do that. (laughs) Tyndale lived in the medieval time. And that is incredibly important for us to recognize. It was not the modern period. It's the medieval world. This is a world, uh, there be dragons. This is a different way of understanding. This is a world that even the most highly educated understood that there were certain forests that were haunted. That there were spirits in certain rivers and bodies of water. That certain afflictions were more spiritual than physical and medical. That the spiritual world was very real, very invisible, very powerful. That certain stones in certain places, well, they were originally sanctified to the Druids. And you have to be careful when you go there. That there were certain prayers to say at certain points of day, not just out of piety, but out of what we would refer to as a superstitious fear of spiritual enemies. This is the world that Tyndall grew up in. He grew up in a place that was, that was highly educated. He was highly literate. But this is still the worldview he saw. And it is different. It is contrary to the world in which we live. He grew up in a world where there be dragons. Watch out. It was also a very dark time. Uh, The large face there is Henry VIII, the the king of England. Looks like a nice guy, eh? Do not marry that man. Good, there's enough history in here to know that that joke. I wasn't gonna explain it, excellent. I I like this, it's a little bit more of a contemporary drawing. I want you just to focus on the eyes for a second. This is not um, a great guy. It's a king, and I mean, any ruler of state is going to have their, uh, their darker moments, their harder decisions. Henry VIII, is, is, he's profound in that. But for those who know history, he's also the one who's responsible for the break of England from the Church of Rome and the formation of the Church of England. But in the time as Tyndale's getting his education in Oxford, Henry VIII is, is the defender of the faith. A title given to him by none other than the Pope himself because Henry VIII had written against this upstart German monk who was causing all this stuff, Martin Luther. He wrote against Martin Luther's views of the sacrament and the Pope awarded Henry VIII with the official title, the Defender of the Faith. Tyndall grows up in an England staunch and ensconced within the Roman Catholic Church with a king who is not quite having eyes on Anne Boleyn yet and still very, very much part of this Roman Catholic structure. This is the world that Tyndall grows up in. On the top there, you see a map, that's Gloucestershire. That is where Tyndall grew up, beautiful countryside. Has anybody ever been there? There, of course, Kevin, you have been. Man, you're the best. I would love, I would love two minutes alone with your passport. Uh, Gloucestershire is, is beautiful, running rolling countryside. It's beautiful, and if you notice the little, oh, that's way too far for me to walk, uh, to the left, you see the big white space? That's Wales. Uh, Tyndall grew up on the, on the border of England and Wales, and is anybody here by Welsh descent? Come on, yeah, good. You, you, there's always the crazies in the room. All right, that's good. And the Welsh have a very lyrical way of speaking and acting and, and living in a border region like that very much influences Tyndale's uh, um, rhythm of speech and his understanding of language. The, um, I mean, uh, probably a fairly good present day comparison would be uh, Christopher Walken. You know, Walken, he's got a funny way of talking. He's, he's got, he puts emphasis on the wrong syllable and he's very unique among, among all actors. So, Walken, when asked about his, that was pretty good. Eh? You can that could be a thank offering too. Thank you, thank you. Uh, when asked about his very unique voice, Christopher Walken grew up in this very uh, multinational neighborhood in New York and learned English among a variety of other languages. And always said it never dawned on him that he was speaking weird because he was taking the the emphases of other languages but using the English words so it is heavier on the end and these sorts of weird things and created one of the most unique voices in in modern memory. That's not dissimilar to what's going on with Tyndall. Tyndall's growing up around the Welsh and the English and and the sort of if any of us who know what it's like to be in the country, that sort of folksy turns of phrases that make country living uh, so kind of quaint and, and, and pretty and nostalgic and just those funny little turns of phrases. I grew up in Western Canada and, and I think I was here for years before when somebody said they wanted to do something, I'm like, yeah, man, fill your boots. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't know, fill your boots, go for it. I don't, don't ask me to explain it, it makes no sense. But I grew up saying like, yeah, man, fill your boots. Get her done. Go for it. You've all got them. We've all got those great, those great turns of phrase. But Tyndale is at Oxford. He gets his education, his love of language. And in the bottom there, we have another major notable character of the Reformation. And this is Erasmus. Now, Erasmus, if, you, if you're Lutheran, you know your Martin Luther history, unfairly, Martin Luther and Erasmus are usually put as like rivals against each other. Erasmus remained within the Roman Catholic Church. He argued against Martin Luther and... Probably about the only one at that time that really had a mind to equal Luther's. But Erasmus did something incredibly, um, he, was, he was the prince of humanists, and he is unfairly characterized in a lot of histories uh, of being the sort of like staunch Romanist. And he wasn't. He was a scholar. He was gifted. He was a linguist. He was a poet. He was a, a, a humanist celebrating human achievement in a time when, um, when that wasn't necessarily in vogue. But Erasmus did something else incredibly important. Erasmus had translated the Bible from the Greek. For a thousand years, the Western world had used Jerome's Latin Vulgate. That was the Bible. That was the official language, Latin. That's what everybody learned for a thousand years. Can you fathom your work? Writing a book that for a thousand years Everyone who called themselves Christian, all the church said that's that's the work. Jerome's legacy is truly, absolutely epic. And then Erasmus, this, this wonderful scholar, goes around and collects all these manuscripts and creates a new one from the Greek, and this blows Tyndall's mind. It also blows Martin Luther's mind. Erasmus is truly a gifted and is a scholar that contributed a tremendous amount to this reformation movement and specifically to Tyndale. There's, there's arguments whether or not that Tyndale actually met Erasmus, went to Cambridge and learned his Greek from him. It's a, it's a matter of scholarly debate. And I can tell already scholarly debate in historical circles is exactly what you wanna hear. See, someone's leaving. Don't, don't look, don't look, that was horrible. They could absolutely have their own reasons. All right. The last thing I'm gonna say about Gloucestershire is it, like many other places, had an absentee religious leadership. Uh, the, the, the people that were in charge of the religious education of, of Tyndall and his family all lived in France almost never around and so there would be people, followers of Wycliffe, the Lollards, those who came in and talked about a personal Jesus, they would be fairly uneducated but they would be one of the few sort of regular religious services that would happen in these in these village and these these rural settings and so the community largely was in charge of their own religious experience and their educated young would help with that so this is Gloucestershire uh, a beautiful community absentee religious teaching in a time when Erasmus's Greek translations come out so our boy Tyndale heads to Oxford and, and knowing that he's not going to be able to do what he feels he's call, increasingly called to do, he heads to the big city of London. Now, knowing his Latin, knowing his Greek, getting the Hebrew, understanding the languages, with a single purpose in his mind. Ah, growing up in a place with very, religious, religious, very little religious education, perhaps if we had the Bible in English, we could more effectively teach ourselves. Great idea, right? 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 No, it is not. It goes horrifically terrible for him. Bam! Hey, there we go. He goes to the Bishop of London, a guy by the name of Tunstall. The reading I began this service with it was from Isocrates. It's it's a Greek reading, and he translates that. I hope you got from the language; it's very difficult. So he translates this and brings us to Tunstall to show his proficiency in Greek. Tunstall is actually a known friend of Erasmus. This is a slam dunk. Look how good I am in the, in, with the Greek. This is, you're a friend of Erasmus who is this very controversial figure and very uh, excellent scholar. Tyndale sees himself in the spirit of Erasmus thinking I can do this for the English. But unfortunately, this is when a lot of Martin Luther's Reformation ideas are starting to come in. The political timing is not good and Tunstall shoots Tyndall down. He will not fund it. He he, he spends a ton of time with with his sources. He raises a bunch of money. And the Bishop of London says no. But there's a lot that's swirling around on the continent. This Reformation, what's going on in what we would now call Germany, is really exciting. A lot of new ideas, a lot of scholarship. This Martin Luther has produced a Bible in German. Okay, this seems like some people that are, maybe we're not related by blood, but we're related by ideas. And so our guy heads off to Europe. He leaves England never knowing that he would never set foot on his native soil again. He sent himself into exile. The single-minded purpose that these scriptures can and must be made into English for my people. And ironically, he will never be back in England, even as his greatest legacy is turning the Bible into English. He goes to a bunch of different places. Uh, he actually gets the Gospel of Matthew and a commentary done. And then local officials figure out where he is. And, the, you know, the, the King Henry buys them off. Or somebody that helps King Henry is buying them off. So they go there and they trash uh, the printing station. And, and Tyndall's just able to go in there and grab one copy of Matthew. And then they head off another place down the river. They're all up in Europe. I won't bog you down with the details. But it's not easy. And then he finally ends up in Worms. That's why words from worms, it's words from worms. And the Diet of Worms is my absolutely favorite title for any of my classes, because it literally looks like the Diet of Worms. And it's the dieta of Worms, it's words from Worms. So Tyndale finds himself in Worms, which of course was the scene of Martin Luther's very famous world-changing stand against the Holy Roman Emperor and the Catholic Church, where he will not recant his writings. It is arguably one of the most important places in Reformation history. And our guy Tyndall finds himself there. And it is there that he completes his English translations. It is there that his word goes out throughout Europe to all expatriate English. And then is smuggled back into England and read and celebrated. Henry VIII, Tunstall, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Like, we were wrong. This is great we were just saying the other day how important it is that, that the commoner have as much knowledge as possible. Come on back, Tyndall. There was parades for it. No. They were incensed. Furious. Livid. The archbishop, the bishop of London, Henry VIII, they all wrote about how Tyndale was leading the people astray. That his translations had upwards of 2,000 errors in it. That he was putting his own Lutheran theology into the Bible, into the mouth of Jesus in ways that Jesus never spoke. It was the height of heresy. You, you, you don't get the Bible. You can't handle the Bible. You thought I was gonna do a Jack Nicholson, and you, I'm not. You can't handle this truth. You can't. You are a commoner. Most of you don't even have priests that are hanging around, and if they are, it's because they got a lady in the neighborhood that they really like. That's true. You cannot handle what we, the church elite, will give to you. It is Latin. You must know this in the sacred language. It was the language on top of the cross of Jesus. Who are you? Was English on the top of the cross of Jesus? English is the most common base vulgar language. It is a mishmash of country hicks. And French warriors jammed together into some garbled mess of gross. How dare you put the most sacred words, the words of our Lord, into the common tongue of English. And on top of that, Tyndale did it wrong. He did it poorly. It is the height of heresy. Now you understand why Tyndale was never going to go back to England again. There's great stories of, of local bishops paying off local merchants to, uh, to buy up all the copies so they could burn it. They started burning books because you know, that always goes well burning books. That's, that's the height of like, intellectualism right there. So they gather up all the stuff, but enough people like Tyndale that they would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We will buy them all up. And then they give Tyndale the money and he'd print more. So in a very fantastic twist, the Archbishop of Canterbury helped support the English Bible while burning it. So, history is funny. The English Bible is out. I want to take a moment to look at this. To my choir. We may have read this many, many times. And I'm hoping in some way the lyrical beauty of this can recapture you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy and blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god you may have grown up your whole life hearing that in latin can you capture a glimpse of the first time you hear the lyrical beauty of the beatitudes in language you understand what that would do to you for um for the record The authorized version, what we call the King James Version, which Dr. Wong uh, spoke from this morning, uh, was published in 1611 after Tyndale had been killed. Ninety, scholars to be a little bit, 90% of that King James was from Tyndale. The man who created a heretical book of over 2,000 errors, when it actually became okay to print an English Bible, they leaned on him. He was a genius of language absolute genius. So, Tyndale finds some success getting his work out there because, and this is one of my favorite attributes, and we forget this, one of the great legacies of the Reformation is crime, is smuggling specifically. I I hope there's people in this room one day that become smugglers, and I mean that sincerely. I love, love the Wink and the Han Solo-ish characteristic of the smuggler, that smuggles religious literature. It shows that no nation, no boundary of humanity supersedes the kingdom of God. And if we think these people need to see the Bible, we're going to find a way for these people to see the Bible. And no king or army or dictator is going to stop us. And if you kill me, three more are going to pop up. I I'll make a little money on the side, but that's not really the point. I will risk my life to make sure as many people as possible get these ideas. Oh, printers uh, loved it in Europe. There was good money in heresy. Ooh, real good money in Reformation stuff. Lutheran books flew off the shelf. Bestseller, the level of Dan Brown. Oh, I should not have put Martin Luther and Dan Brown in the same sentence. Please forgive me, mea culpa. They, they would fly off the shelves. They would make money. Tyndale quickly did the same thing. Uh, there was a market for this English Bible. And as he lives in Europe, he does something else that I truly love about him. He never sort of leaves this priestly role and continues to visit people and, and, and visit the poor one day a week. He spent most of his time working on his scriptures, constantly, constantly, constantly making them better and more accurate, coming across more and more older documents. But he'd also visit the poor. He would, he would have people over at his homes. And keep in mind, he is perpetually on the run constantly running not a man of wealth not a man of means a man who's constantly got to keep his ear to the ground to make sure he's not about to be caught and in these circles as he, as he, as he goes around he befriends a lot of people and one man he does befriend and that man I will not name um, actually I'm just going to put this one up here we'll come back to that in a second it's just a nice image of a person with, with no country because a person with no country has some positive and minor uh, negative uh, psychological effects Um, they understand that what they're doing is larger than the land in which they were raised. But then there's also, and we see it in Tyndall's writings, he's heartbroken. He misses home. He knows he can't go back. And every day that becomes more and more clear to him that he is not welcome in the place that he called home, the place that birthed him, the place that raised him, the place that educated him. He is a man of no nation and therefore can be a man of any nation. And that's what happens. And in his travels and in these, these wonderful salons where they would all gather around and talk and discuss and these ideas and the charity and he encouraged encourage the local English people to, to act out their faith even as they learned more and more about Jesus by reading his translations in English. He met one man that I will not name uh, because this man ended up being his betrayer. This man is a man of, of ill repute, a gambler, whatever. He was a coward. He was a Judas. And he sold out Tyndall. And the reason why I'm not going to name him uh, is twofold. Dr. Wang rang Psalm 55, and the idea of betrayal uh, was so powerful because you, you expect attacks from your enemies. Betrayal is a special kind of sting because, as as David says, we walked to church together. That's where it's coming from. We were equals. We were friends. We were in community together, and you stabbed me in the back. That's I expect this from my enemies. It's really hard to swallow when it comes from my friends. And I will pray to God. Tyndale experienced betrayal. Uh, and the reason why I don't name this person is for the, the betrayal is bad enough. He led him into an alley, asked him for some, is like, hey, I want to take you to this other person's house. We can eat, we can dine. They're really interested. And Tyndale goes along with them. And he leads him into an alley where there's some soldiers waiting. He is whisked off to a castle. He'll spend a year in the dungeon and then they'll put him on the stake, they'll put a bunch of wood around, they'll fill it with gunpowder, they will strangle him to death with a chain, and then light him on fire. And that's how our namesake went to glory. And the reason why I won't name his betrayer is because for me, the most heinous act that this betrayer did, even not more so than the betrayal, but just that added little bit, is knowing he was about to betray him, he borrowed money from him. He's like, hey, by the way, before you go, can I borrow 50 bucks? I'll get you back tomorrow, knowing full well he was taking him to his death. Gross. You know what I mean? Just that added little... That to me speaks volumes about this person's character. And that's why he shall remain nameless. I will not give him any more. But anywho. We come to the end of the story of Tyndall. So what, are, what is his legacy as we wrap this thing up? I mean, besides this school, obviously, and other places uh, that bear his name... I want you to take a look here, or listen, sorry, I should say. These are words of the Oxford English Dictionary credit to Tyndall, and most would argue that these are not fair because they do, sorry, they do a vast majority of English words. A lot of people know that Shakespeare gave us a lot of words, like submarine and puking, there you go, at the next party. Here, you can bust that out for trivia. Um, so Shakespeare's credited with credited with creating a lot of English words. The King James Bible is credited with creating it, but as I stated, a lot of that is Tyndale. And Tyndale's credited a lot, but the King James is credited with more, and you can make the argument that the King James is Tyndale. I want you, and this is just by no means exhaustive. Think of the words. These are words that as Tyndale sits with the Greek. How do I say this in English? Anathema, Tyndale. Apostleship. Tragically, he came up with the word betrayer. Brokenhearted. Oh, how good is that? Think, think of like looking at the Greek and like what is the English? It is a it is a breaking of the heart. It's a brokenhearted, brotherly, and for any of us in the church, we've probably used this at one point or another. Busybody. That's a Tyndall word. Castaway. Chasten. Childishness. Corinthian. Deceivable. Fisherman. Godly, Godspeed, holy place, inexcusable, intercession, Jehovah, jesting, jot, live, longed, long-suffering, lost. How do you communicate the gospel in 21st century North America without the word lost? You have Tyndale to thank for that word. Mercy seat. And long before Zuckerberg, Tyndall came up with the word network. I don't even know how, but network. Open door ourselves. Passover peace offering pose. Refused. Sanctifying Scapegoat Sorcerer. There be dragons. Stiff necked stumbling block, taskmaster, enquire, thank offering, or words of Tyndall's, two-edged, unbelievable, unbeliever, undergird, ungodly, both as a noun and an adverb, unleavened, uproar, viper, weakling, yeet. No, just kidding, it's not yeet. (laughs) Just want to make sure you're awake. I can split the age demographic right now just on that one word. (laughs) Zealous. These were words that did not exist before William Tyndale put pen and ink to parchment. Can you imagine your ability to communicate or understand God without those words? And that, my brothers and sisters, is the legacy of Tyndale. On the left, you've already seen that. That's the 1526 New Testament Beatitudes. On the right is the message. Eugene Peterson's translation. Um, these two things say very different things. You can read them right. I don't need to read these out loud. We're getting close to... Uh, yeah, we're near lunch. So I want to wrap this up. Tyndale's legacy was not just putting the Bible in English. Tyndale's legacy was bringing God closer To his people. Language is so important. To make sense of our world. Tyndale understood his world. Look at the lyric. And the rhythm. And the beauty. That's the one on the left. That's a Beatitudes. Of a magical. Mystical age. Where there is special rivers. Haunted forests. And music communicates. So much truth and gospel. The other one, and this is not a slam at Eugene Peterson. Actually, Tyndale would totally do this for, for Eugene Peterson. Look at the other one. That's the Beatitudes of an information age. The ones on the right explain this to me. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. That would fit on a bumper sticker. That's a contained thought. That's a good explanation. And it's faithful. But it's not... And Tyndale would understand Peterson's understanding of his age, his retranslation of the Beatitudes in an age in that it makes more sense. We, we scoff at the these and the thous of the King James Version. And fair enough, they're not, they're not what I want you to use all the time, but don't scoff at them because contained within the these and the thous and the thys and stuff like that is the music and, and, and the, the linguistic beauty that forms the English language. Where would Christmas be without hark, the herald angels sing? Where would Christmas be without the word swaddling? I defy you to think of another time of year you use the word swaddling. <laughs> but do Christmas without it. Someone gonna get upset. There are times and we recognize that even in our 21st century skeptical postmodern, everything up for grabs society, there is a, a rhythm to the information we take in. There is a beauty to the spoken word. Poetry still matters. And poetry in scripture is absolutely essential. This the, the message, I use it many, many Sundays. I use it especially when I have friends who aren't necessarily believers but want to have something religious in their wedding or something along those lines. First Corinthians 13 in the message, every single time because it's beautiful and it makes sense and it doesn't sound like the bible and i can't say this strongly enough tyndall would support that for that is the true legacy of the man we name our school after and for those of you in this room none of you i believe are here by accident all of you have some inkling that lived in the namesake of our school all of you are called With your heart, your soul, and your mind, if we truly want to honor the one the school is named after, we are got to struggle and exile, face betrayal and starvation and all sorts of obstacles from the world and from the church to just make sure to find the ways to bring God as close as possible to the people who, for whatever reason, have not had the access to God that you have enjoyed. Tyndale's education was not for him. It drove him ultimately to his death, but not before he changed the world. And that's the heart of the Reformation is when God sounds like you, you sound like God and you too can talk now. Without the magic of the Latin priest or the Catholic church in between you, you now have access to the divine words. You now understand what the, the author the Hebrews and what Paul was getting at when he says, walk into the throne room of God, your heavenly father, and lay all your supplications at his feet. You don't get that in Latin. You don't get that when the church is in the way. And Tyndale understood that. And he brought the language of God into the ears and the hearts of his people. Even though he never saw his homeland again. This is our legacy. We live, as this version of the message goes, you're not here to turn the Bible into English. We've done that. You're here to understand the Gloucestershire that you live in. The turns of phrase of your tribe and your people. To look and lament at the ways in which the gospel has not been communicated to them in word or deed. And you, my dear brother, you, my dear sister, have been put on this earth to fill that gap with the abilities that God has given to you. Your calling is nothing less than that and nothing more. And you will face adversity and failure and ultimately death. We all do. But that is the legacy of our namesake. That is the beauty that shaped the British Empire, the Western world, and if you speak English and have ever read the Bible in English, you personally. That legacy is what this school, this room you're sitting in right now, was built for. So to conclude, in the early 1620s or so, basically at some point after the authorized uh, Bible, what we call the King James, uh, was out, they had to pass in some areas a law Forbidding people from reading the Bible while the priest was trying to talk, because they had the pulpit Bible up there—the giant Bible—and I have one, and I forgot it. I'm sorry. And they had this giant pulpit Bible up there, and it was printed in English. And people would—can ru- you imagine people rushing the stage for the Bible? But they finally got it. They finally had access. The Roman Catholic Church had been thrown out of England, and that was, was going okay. But they—they they now had access, and people didn't read to themselves silently. They read out loud. So the priest is talking like, blessed are the poor, it's blessed are the poor. And like, okay, okay, be quiet. So they finally, they would, whoa, that was close. They would finally have to shut them up so that the priest could talk. That's how excited these people were to finally have the Bible. It's still good. You find a great way to mu- communicate this truth. You will light people up. So for now, I want you to close your eyes Because the last part of history I want to introduce to you is imagination. And as much as you're able to, I'm just going to read you some words from the Bible, independent of their context, but I want you to hear the beauty of Tyndale's language, sentences that he first wrote, and hear them for the first time Behold the Lamb of God. I am the way, the truth. And the life. In my father's house are many mansions. For thine is the kingdom. And the power. And the glory. Seek. And ye shall find. With God all things are possible. In him we live. And move. And have our being. Be not weary. In well doing looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Let not your hearts be troubled. The spirit is willing, but it's the flesh that is weak. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Fight the good fight. Can you possibly glimpse what it would be like To hear such encouraging words for the first time in your own language. Let's bow our heads. You are creative and inspiring, and we thank you for your son Tyndall. May each person in this room continue to live out their life in that path. May we be evangelists with word and in deed. And we follow after you. Give us ears especially tuned. Not just to your voice. But to the rhythm of the world in which we live. Help us to go to this world. That though they do not know it. Can just simply ask. Do you know God? What is he like? And may we find. Creative. Lyrical. Beautiful. Honest answers in our words, and with our life. We give you thanks and praise for sustaining us, talking to us, and moving us forward. We give you all glory and honor and praise in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bless us and guide us as we go about our day. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much. Enjoy your lunch.